Uh, really, really good to be with you tonight. I'm really excited tonight. My name's Drew. If, uh, if I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here with Ryan as we get Redemption Church going. And I'm excited for a few reasons tonight. Um, one, I am really, really excited because we're launching Redemption Church officially tonight. And so you're here for our church launch. This is our birthday. That's right. That's a good thing. And I know some of you may be checking out churches and you're, and you're seeing where you want your church family to be. That's awesome. We're just glad that you're here. Um, but we're excited to launch. I'm also really excited that you're here. Um, it's a great privilege and a pleasure to be with you tonight, to get to open up the Bible tonight, to get to worship Jesus tonight. And so I'm glad you're here. And I'm also really excited because we are going to be talking about the vision of Redemption Church tonight, which we think is a really, really important thing for us to discuss. Now, last week, I think Ryan talked a little bit about resolutions, and it's still kind of the new year. Um, we're still fresh into January, and so maybe you've made a resolution. Uh, maybe you haven't. But here's the deal. If you think about resolutions, and you get to the heart of and the core of why resolutions are made, here's, here's what it really is. Whether it's a resolution to go to the gym more, whether it's a resolution to, um, I don't know, read more, whether it's a resolution to... Um, not eat as much, whatever it might be, I don't know. Those are the only ones I think of, so food's kind of on my mind. Um, and maybe a book. Um, and so whatever it is, here's, here's what's at the core. Wanting to see something happen this year that didn't happen last year. Um, and really what's at the core of that is wanting this year to count. Wanting to make it count in some way, even if it's something small. Wanting to make it count and wanting to see something happen this year that probably didn't happen this last year. And it's the same for us as a church, not that we're making a resolution, but as a church, we have one life. We have one life as a church, and we don't know how long that's going to be. For us as individuals, we have one life, and we want to make it count. And as Redemption Churches, we're 15 minutes old, literally, and we get going. We think it's incredibly important for us to talk about the vision of Redemption Church because we don't want to look back a year, three years, five years from now and say, man, what happened? What, what was that about? What did we do? And so we really, really want to make it count. Um, and to give you a bit of an overview of what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks, normally we'll be going through a book of the Bible, and we're really excited to do that. But for tonight, in the next few weeks, we're going through a series called This is Redemption, looking at a clear vision and a clear mission for our church. Because if we're going to go somewhere together and we're going to be someone together, this local church body, it's important that we know what that is. It's important that we have something that we're looking to and saying, okay, this is what we're, this is what we're about. And so we believe that that's really important so that we aren't just all running wild or doing different things, but we're all doing the same thing and we're in on that together. And so that's what we're going to be doing tonight and for the next few weeks. Now, speaking of resolutions, um, my resolution when I used to make them, most years here it was, it was to go to the gym, okay? Um, it was to go to the gym on a regular basis and never fail about three weeks into the new year, I would find myself on the couch at around five o'clock, probably eating a bag of chips, thinking, was I supposed to be doing something right now? Like, is there something I was supposed to do today? And then it would hit me, oh yeah, I was supposed to go to the gym. And then I would just keep eating the chips. Here's the deal about resolutions, and here's the deal about us as, as people. We tend to forget. We do, we're forgetful. Um, I forget all the time. Sometimes I go into the kitchen, and I don't even know why I'm there. That's my own problem. But uh, we forget, and it's the same thing with vision. We forget, because vision leaks. 
It does. It's like this old school 10-speed Huffy that I had growing up. This was a dirty looking bike. I don't know where my parents found this, but they didn't buy me a new one. So it's what I rode around in the neighborhood um, for hours after school. This thing had like a couple pinhole leaks in one of the tires. And so every couple days I had to air it up because otherwise I would go out there and if I'd forgot to air it up for a couple weeks, I'd have a flat tire and I wasn't going anywhere. And it's the same thing with vision. We need to constantly be pouring into and reminding one another of the vision of this church so that we don't go flat and we aren't moving. It's really, really important. That's why we're talking about this tonight. Because my fear is, my greatest fear is that if we forget the vision, is that we will become a self-seeking, consumeristic church body that's lost sight of who God wants us to be and what he wants us to do. And I don't want that. And I don't think you want that. And so we want to talk about that this evening. And so let's define vision. Since we're going to be talking about it, it's important that that's the first thing that we do, that we define it. In the simplest terms, vision is something that we want to accomplish. But I like this uh, a lot better. Vision, a mental picture of what could be fueled by a passion that it should be. A mental picture of what could be fueled by a passion that it should be. Another way that you can say it is something that we want to see happen in the future that isn't currently happening in the present. That's what we want to see. That's what we're talking about when we say vision. And so as Ryan and I prayed and we talked and we processed through what do we believe God wants the vision for Redemption Church to be, here's what we came to. To see Jesus become non-ignorable. I know that may not be a real word, but I think it's a good word non-ignorable in Seattle, the Puget Sound, and beyond. That's what we want to see happen. And if you think about things that are non-ignorable in Seattle, we live in one of the, um, we live in a really awesome city. We also live in a very secular city, and there are a lot of things that are non-ignorable here in Seattle. Who played yesterday? Seahawks. Do you know how I know that the Seahawks are non-ignorable in Seattle? Yesterday morning, Laura and I are eating breakfast, and I'm like, I wonder what time the game is today, and she says 5.15. And if you know my wife, she doesn't exactly follow NFL football. And so that was a great sign to me that, yeah, the Seahawks, they can't be ignored. It would be tough to not know that the Seahawks were here in Seattle. It would be tough to not go a mile and see um, Seahawks memorabilia and stuff on cars and on walls. Think of other things that are non-ignorable. You, maybe Amazon or Microsoft. There are a lot of things in our city that are not ignorable. And I don't want to burst your bubble tonight, but let me just be honest. Jesus is not one of them. Jesus is not not ignorable here in Seattle. Not at this point. But we want to see him become non-ignorable. In Seattle and the Puget Sound and beyond, because we believe that what Jesus has to offer is the greatest thing that can be offered to anyone. That's his grace and his love. So that's what we want to see happen. And as we talk about vision tonight for a few minutes, anytime you talk about vision, there are two questions that you should ask. Why? So why is this important? Why do we think it's important that Jesus would become non-ignorable? And two, how does this happen? So why and how does this happen? And for the why, if you have a Bible, uh, turn to the book of John with me. And I think there's Bibles. Are there Bibles in the pews? Sweet. There are Bibles in the pews. Um, 
We're glad you're here tonight. John is in the New Testament, so it's in the second half of the Bible. It's right after um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you'll hit John. Um, not literally, but you'll get there. So that's what we're going to uh, be tonight for just a little bit, and we're going to look at why. If I can get there, here we go. So let's, let's, uh, let's read this together. Let's start here. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So right off the bat, here's what John wants to show us. He wants to show us why Jesus alone should be non-ignorable throughout all the earth. And here's a few things that we're going to see right in this verse. The first one is this. It says, in the beginning was the Word. We see that Jesus, He's eternal. He was there in the beginning. This word, Word, is a really important word. All right? It is. We're not going to get into all the depths of it, but what I want you to see is that Word isn't talking about a thing. It's talking about a being. It's talking about Him. It's talking about Jesus. That's what John is trying to show us, is that Jesus is eternal. And he's been here since the beginning. This is really important. This is huge because Christ has always been from the beginning. And in the word, he's always been revealing himself and trying to communicate with us. He's been trying to communicate with us. And what is it that he is communicating? He's communicating God's love and his grace. And so Jesus, he's eternal. He's communicating the love and the grace of God to broken people, you and I, that have a big problem. It's called sin. It's an issue that we've rebelled against God, and we're in need of hope. Hope that lasts. Hope that isn't here today and gone tomorrow. Here's the thing. I love the Seahawks. I grew up watching the Seahawks in Missouri. I have no idea why, but my brother and I did. And so I love the Seahawks. But the Seahawks are not going to save you. And the Seahawks, chances are, probably don't even know that you exist. But here's the truth. <laughs> somebody, somebody had a big issue with that. They're like, man, I'm the 12th man. What are you talking about? The Seahawks don't know I exist. <laughs> but here's what I want you to know. There's some good news. Jesus does. He knows you. And because he knows that we are in need of hope, and we have this issue called sin, he came and he lived this perfect life that you and I couldn't live, and he gave his life for us. His body was broken, his blood was shed, and he took on our sin so that we could have new life. Jesus was eternal. And here's what else it says. And the word was with God. Jesus was eternally with God. God is relational. And first and foremost, God is relational in himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's what we believe in. It's called the Trinity. God is relational. And out of that relationship comes into a relationship with us, with the created. God wants to have a relationship with you. He desires to have a relationship with you. But hear this. This is really important. God did not create you because he was lonely. God didn't create you because he was lonely and he's like, man, I'd really like some people to hang out with. He didn't do that. He created you because he loves you, because he wants to have a relationship with you. But he doesn't, he doesn't need you in that way. God already had a relationship. He was already in community with himself, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
Here's what it says, and the word was with God, and this is really important, and the word was God. Jesus is God. And this is critical that we not only know this, but we believe this because everything hinges on this. That Jesus is God. This is massive. Everything rests on this truth and whether you believe it or not. Without believing that Jesus is God, you cannot be a Christian. Without believing that Jesus is God, Christianity, it's a complete joke. C.S. Lewis, a famous writer, many of you have probably read C.S. Lewis. He has a great book called Mere Christianity. And he talks about three different options for Jesus. And he says this, many of you may have heard this. He says, Jesus is either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he's Lord. And so a lot of times in our society, especially, we think of Jesus as maybe a moral teacher. But he can't be. That's absolutely ridiculous because if Jesus is not God, he's a liar. Because he said he was God. He was a liar. Or he's crazy. C.S. Lewis goes on to say Jesus is, uh, would be at the equivalent of somebody saying that they're a poached egg. He'd be off his rocker. And so Jesus is either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's who he says he is. He's the Son of God. He is God. And this is really important. Um, uh, a great writer said this, he said, what you believe about Jesus, and I believe this is so true, what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. What you believe about Jesus, every one of you in here tonight, what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. Now, whether you believe that Jesus is God, whether you have a relationship with him, whether you don't, it affects everything. It affects the way that you look at life. It affects the way that you look at relationships. It affects the way that you function in marriage, in dating, in friendships. It affects your goals and ambitions and what you believe you're living for. It affects your hopes and dreams and your joy it affects what you do when things happen you didn't expect. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. This is a big deal. If this is true, if what we believe about Jesus is the most important thing about this, I don't know about you, but I want to get this right. I do. I want to make sure that I really believe what is true. And I want to make sure that I really give my life to something and make it count. This is critical. There's so many different ideas about Jesus. So many. If you, if you went out here and you walked the street and you asked people about Jesus, you get a ton of different ideas. And here's the great thing. When it comes to Jesus, God hasn't just left us to guess. He's given us his word. He lets us know exactly who Jesus is. He lets us know that he is God. He lets us know that he's been in a relationship with God. He lets us know a lot of other things about Jesus, but we can see who he is. In verse 3, let's, let's go to this. It says, Through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus made everything. I love in Colossians chapter 1, it talks about how Jesus has made everything, and he's over all rulers, and he's over all dominions. He's over everything, and everything was created for him, and by him, and through him. 
And so it's really easy to go through life and wonder, what am I doing? What am I living for? Here's the truth at the core of it, whether we believe it or not. We were created for a purpose, and that is to bring glory to God. And glory can be one of those words that we just use, and we're not sure what it means. It's to point to God. It's to look to God. It's to point other people to God so that they would worship Him, so that He would be the one that they are devoted to, that they're passionate about. That's why you were made. That's why you were created. And Jesus made you, and He made everything. And it says in verse 4, and this is so critical, and as we think of why we would want to see Jesus become non-ignorable, this is massive. So hear it. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Hear this. Jesus is the only real living hope for you. He is the only real living, lasting breathing hope for you, for humanity, for creation. That's Jesus. In him, there is life. And so John puts these two things up against each other, life and death. Now, we may be breathing and we may be walking around, but if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, with Jesus, who is God, we're spiritually dead. And the only way that we find life is through relationship with Him. By believing in what He has done in the gospel and receiving new life. This is our hope. This is the gospel. Not so that we could just exist, but so that we could live. So that we could live. So that we wouldn't be worshiping the created over the Creator. It's so easy to do, and that's what we don't want to see people do here in our community. We don't want to see them worship a bunch of things. We want to see them worship Jesus, because in Him there's life. In Him there's life. Without Him we can't find real joy. And the beauty of all of this is, is that it says, In Him there was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus offers freely His love and His grace to all mankind. It doesn't matter how much you sin. It doesn't matter what your past is. You could write up a laundry list of all the things that you've done and say, I don't deserve this grace. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve, I don't deserve a relationship with Jesus. And you're right, we don't deserve it. But because of Jesus' great love for you, He still wants to invite you. That's His grace. That's what we want people to take hold of. That's what we want people to at least consider. If you hate the word non-ignorable, then think of it this way. We want everyone to at least have to consider Jesus. We don't want the people in our neighborhoods, the people that we have relationships with, our coworkers, our family members to go through life and not have to at least consider Jesus. Because we're praying and we're praying hard that as people consider Jesus, the Holy Spirit would move and people would meet Jesus. That's what we want to be all about. That's why the name of this church is Redemption Church. Because we don't think there's anything better to talk about or more worthwhile to talk about than the redemption that's offered through Jesus. And that's what Jesus wants to see happen. And that's what we want to see happen. And it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So you have this light and this darkness and the truth is and the beauty is of the gospel that Jesus broke the chains of sin and death through the cross, through giving his life, 
and that no darkness can overcome him because he already overcame the darkness. Now you may be thinking, it doesn't seem like the light is winning. What do you mean the light will overcome the darkness and the darkness won't overcome the light? It doesn't seem like the light's winning. We see all kinds of crazy things happen. We see children that are being beheaded in other countries. We're in the midst of uh, the greatest genocide we've ever seen in young babies being put to death daily. We're seeing people break laws. We're seeing people used and abused. So you might be saying it doesn't really seem like that's happening. And, and I'm no science whiz. I'm not at all. If you saw my grades, you'd know that for sure um, when I was in school. But, but here's the truth. Here's one thing I do know. Is that we don't really see our need for the light until we're in the darkness. That doesn't mean that Jesus and God is cool with everything that's going on. But here's what it does. Because Jesus has already overcome the darkness, at any time he wanted to, God could end this whole thing. He could. He could end it. But I believe it's actually because of his great love for humanity and the created that he's giving us more time. He's giving people more time to turn and accept him. And as a church, he's giving us more time to make him known. And so the question is, what do we do with the time that we've been given? What do we do with it? Do we take advantage of it? Do we make it count? This is the whole reason we want to see Jesus be not ignorable. That everyone would consider him. Because there's nothing greater to make known than him. So if we want to make a resolution that really matters, if you make resolutions, how about this one? I want to make Jesus known to as many people as I can this year. That they would at least have to consider him. This is the why. And it's a pretty good why. If you want to sum it up, it's Jesus is awesome. And he's God. And he's the only one that offers hope and life. As everyone is reaching for different things and trying to find hope and trying to find wholeness and trying to find joy and trying to find all these things, we as a church have the one thing that they really need and that's the gospel. That's Jesus. And so that's why we believe that this vision is so critical. That's why we're so excited about this vision. This is a beautiful thing that we want to see happen. Amen? I hope it is. I hope that this excites us. I hope that this lifts our heads It makes us excited. I hope that if there's something that keeps you up at night, it would be this not happening. That we would have such broken hearts for our community that we could not imagine not being a part of seeing this happen. This is a beautiful thing. And so we know the why. How about the how? How do we see this happen? And over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about this in depth. But turn with me just for a couple minutes to Acts chapter 2. I don't really make resolutions. As you're turning there, I'm just going to talk. I don't really make resolutions um, just because they just, they just get broken for me. Um, but here's a few things I, I will uh, tell you this year. Uh, you will not see very many, if any, selfies from me. Um, you don't want to see my face that close up. Uh, you won't see probably very many pictures of the food that I eat. Um, it's just not that interesting, not the food that I eat. Some people eat awesome food. I don't. And so uh, I, you won't see many of those on Facebook. Here's another thing that I, I resolve that you won't hear from me. You won't hear me use the word epic very much, if at all, this year. Here's the thing. The word epic, in and of itself, it's not a bad word. 
But I think the word epic has been overused and abused and manipulated and torn up and thrown back together and spit back out. And I think, to be honest, I think the word epic is used probably way too much in the church. I think it is. Bubble, But a lot of what we will do as a church, it probably won't seem epic. But here's the thing, I don't think it needs to be. I, I think that we can see this vision come to life without something epic that we do on our own. Here's instead my hope. My hope is that we would, as a church, point people to the most epic thing that's ever happened, the most epic story in human history, that Jesus would actually come down, live among us, give his life, and offer us redemption. That's epic. The things that you and I do and the things that we try to put together in any scheme or any plan or any event, Holy Spirit isn't moving, it will fall flat. So instead, what I hope we do is nothing epic. I just hope we point people to an epic Savior. Does that sound okay with you? Man, that's what we need to be about. That's what we need to be about because for too long, I bought into this idea that some big event or some huge thing would somehow just redeem the whole city and it's total trash. Now, if God wanted to do it, he can. But for the most part, that's not how he's moving and that's not what he's doing. But here's how he is moving and here's what he is doing. It's through his church and it's through relationships. It's through you and I daily living out of our relationship with Jesus, with others. So here's what chapter 2 of Acts says. It says, And they devoted themselves, this is the early church, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And awe came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, they broke bread in their homes and received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. For the next few weeks, we're going to talk about our mission statement. Because here's the truth. Our mission statement is that we would be all about enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. And when it comes to our vision and our mission, it's a causal relationship. We believe that as we live out our mission statement, the vision will happen. So the mission is what we want to do, and as we do that, the vision is what we want to see happen. We believe that. And it's nothing insane, and it's nothing incredibly complicated, but it is incredibly important. And that's what we see this group of believers doing in Acts Chapter 2, we don't need a new plan. We don't need a new scheme. We don't need any of that. We just need to live out what Jesus has already told us to do. Every piece of our mission statement, I want you to hear this. It's relational. It's relational. It has to be. It has to be. This isn't something Ryan and I came up with. This is simply a combination of the great commandment, Love God, love people, and the Great Commission, make disciples. Uh, I've heard from a lot of people this idea that, you know, I'm looking, I want to be a part of the church that has a 
fresh vision or a fresh mission or, you know, I'm just, just kind of waiting and I, I want to see, you know, what, what new thing are we going to do? How about we just do an old thing and do it really well? The Bible told us, which is find our joy in Jesus. Seems to be what these people were doing. And how about out of that joy, it pours out and we actually love each other in a very um, unlikely way. And we just love the mess out of people. That's a southern word. We love the mess out of them. And as we do that, they have to consider Jesus. Because they're like, what's up with these people? And why do they love me this much? And why would they offer themselves to me and not want anything in return? That sounds like a good plan to me. It sounds like what God wants us to do. And so check this out. It says, day by day they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Seems like they were enjoying Jesus. (laughs) They were finding their joy in Jesus. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had any need. They were loving people. They were loving each other. They were loving each other really well. The idea of fellowship here, uh, we're going to get theological just for a minute, and then we're going to pull back out, all right? Um, we think of fellowship a lot of times in our society as just simple togetherness. We're hanging out, spending time together, that's fellowship. And that's, that's definitely part of it. But Luke here, um, he's focusing, focusing on another much more radical meaning of fellowship. The word fellowship, it, koinonia, all right? It's built on the root meaning to have in common. So having in common, sharing. And this is what I think Luke means um, when he's talking about this in verse 44 and 45 is the unpacking of fellowship that he talks about in verse 42 because verse 44 speaks of having possessions in common. The word common, koine, same root word as fellowship, koinonia, that we see in verse 42. So here's a part of what um, fellowship was like in the early church. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all who were in need. Fellowship, it means having things in common. Luke goes on to talk about times of eating and praying together. um, What we would usually call fellowship, but this isn't his first illustration of fellowship. This is radical. This is not something we see today. But here's the idea. That this group of people were so tightly bonded and knit together. And they loved each other so much that they could not imagine any one of them living in prosperity if someone else among them was in need. And so they were willing to sacrifice and sell the things that they had so that they would be able to meet the needs of everyone among them. Do you know how radically different that looks like than the type of relationships that we would see in our society? I have this crazy idea, and this is something for us to consider. This is something we need to think about. This is something we need to pray about. This is something that we need to hold fast to, because here's the truth. I've talked to several of you. I'm not going to embarrass anybody tonight, but I know that there are needs in this room. I know that some of you have very real needs in here tonight. You do. Some of you so real that you may need a place to stay tonight. 
Some of you don't know how you're going to pay bills because the money's not coming in and you're trying to find a job. That's a very real need. Some of you have uh, some real emotional needs. But I promise you there are a lot of needs in here tonight. But here's what we tend to do. We tend to keep those to ourselves and not share those because we're afraid of what would happen, what someone would think of us or how they would respond. We don't want to be that type of church. We can't be. Not if we're going to really love people. It has to start with us really loving one another well. That's why we're so excited. A lot of this happens in community as we as a community share these needs with one another. We're excited we're launching life groups tonight. We're stoked about that. We're going to do that here in a few minutes because this is where a lot of community and life and discipleship will happen. But there are two sides of this. I want you to know that if you have a real need, I want you to feel that this is a place that's safe, that you can share those needs. You should be able to do that. This has to be a place where we can do that. But the flip side of that is this. If we're going to ask one another to be vulnerable, then we need to really pray and think about meeting the needs of one another. Is it going to look different? Absolutely. Is it going to be messy at times? Absolutely. Is it going to make Jesus non-ignorable to the people around us? Absolutely. Because that's not a type of love that you see every day. And so is that something we would pray about and consider? It says, and they decided, or they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, praising God. This looks like disciple making. They were growing in their faith. They were sharing the good news. They were obviously out in community, sharing their relationship with Jesus with others. And so here's what's beautiful. What's the result of this? As they live life this way, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, meaning the people around in their community, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's the result. Jesus became non-ignorable in this community. People were having to consider Jesus. And as they did that, and as the church really lived out this idea of enjoying Jesus and loving people and making disciples, here's what happens. Jesus starts to move. The Holy Spirit starts to move. And people are saved. They're going from death to life. And it's beautiful because the church was living by their actions, not just words. It says they had favor among the people because they were loving each other well because they were living this out, their faith. And so the community had to consider Jesus and the community and the kingdom, the kingdom of God grew. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this what we want to see here? Don't we want to see that in Seattle? In the Puget Sound beyond that people would consider Jesus, the Holy Spirit would move and people would be saved? Man, that's what we want to see. It's time that we get fired up about this because that's what God wants to see. He wants to see this community changed. He wants to see people buy into a living hope that's only found in Jesus, not just something that's fleeting. And here's the beauty. He doesn't need us to because he could declare his glory through the rocks, the Bible says, but he wants to use us. He wants to use us. I believe he wants to use Redemption Church. He wants to use us to make his name known so that people would have to consider Jesus. So I've got this crazy idea that as we find our joy in Jesus and we love each other and we love others in our community and we're in community, that people will start to have to consider Jesus. 
And when this happens, we need to pray and pray hard that the Holy Spirit moves. And I'm not talking about an insincere kind of love where you have a weird smile plastered across your face and you're walking around chanting, I love Jesus, yes I do, I love Jesus, how about you? Um, that's, that's not what I'm talking about, but I am talking about a very sincere love. A very sincere love that can't be discounted. That's genuine, that only happens because of the redemption that we've experienced through Jesus. That's what was happening amongst these people. And so in a nutshell, here's how I think this happens. Because God's relational, we must be relational. I'm not talking about anything epic. Here's how I think this happens. I think this happens, parents, as you go and you pick your kids up from school. Interactions with other parents and teachers. It happens, students, as you interact with another student around a cup of coffee at lunch. As we interact with people that we work with, with neighbors, as we have them over. It happens in the day-to-day. It happens in our daily interactions. I think that's how this happens. If you told me, or if you asked me, there's a big difference here. This is beauty. If you ask me to lose 50 pounds, or if you just ask me to go to the gym, there's a huge difference to me. I'm probably going to be overwhelmed by the losing 50 pounds, and I'm not going to go to the gym at all. But if you just ask me to go to the gym, I'm probably going to be willing to do that. The beauty of this vision and what we want to see happen as a church is that everybody can and should participate. It's something that we get to do, and not only this, it's something that we get to do a lot of together in community. That's why we're stoked about life groups. Because we believe we were created for community. We should be in community. This is a beautiful thing that we want to see happen. And so let me just bring it down to um, ground level here. Let me just ask you this as we kind of close out our time. Is Jesus non-ignorable, first and foremost? Is Jesus non-ignorable in your own life? Because that's where we have to start. Is Jesus non-ignorable in our life? Is is Jesus uh, a daily necessity or simply a Sunday activity? That's something we need to ponder, we need to consider, we need to think about. And if we believe that if we live out the mission statement and join Jesus loving people, making disciples, we see the vision happen. We should ask ourselves, are we living that out? Are there things that we need to pray about and consider and maybe repent of? Um, When it comes to enjoying Jesus, I would just ask you this, are you finding your joy in Jesus or something else? Here's a big piece of finding your joy in Jesus is, is constantly remembering what he's done for you, but are you in relationship with him? Are you getting to know him more and more? Are you you in the word? There's no substitute. Are Are you praying? Are you coming before him? If you're in here tonight and you don't have a relationship with him, I'm so glad that you're here. And here's what I want for you. I would love for you to simply consider Jesus. Consider him. Consider if what the Bible's saying is true. And if that's you and you know you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you're like, man, I need one. My life's just not, uh, it's not working out the way I thought. I've been placing my hope in a lot of things, but, but this seems legitimate. This seems genuine. I want to experience that type of love, that type of forgiveness. Then seek, seek me out at the end. Come up here. Seek Ryan out at the end. We want to talk with you because uh, there's nothing more important in your, your life than what you believe about Jesus. We're loving people. Who in your life, you can think of a lot of different people, but who, who do you need to sacrificially love? Maybe it starts tonight, maybe it starts tomorrow, maybe it starts this week. Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your friends, maybe it's other people in your community, maybe it's your neighbors, but are we really loving people well? 
And here's a big question we don't ask a lot, but I want to ask you, who, who you, who are you discipling? If you have a relationship with Jesus, here's the truth. You don't have to have it all together and you don't have to be a theologian. We believe discipleship is gospel truth transferred through relationship. And so who are you discipling or maybe pre-discipling? <laughs> maybe that you know doesn't have a relationship with Jesus yet, but you're praying they would. Who's that person? Who are those people? We want to ask those, those questions. And then from there, I want us to constantly as individuals and in life groups and as a church ask this question, how can I, how can we, in word and deed, put Jesus before people so that they have to consider him? So that he won't be non-ignorable? Because I absolutely believe that Jesus wants to move in Seattle in a powerful way. I believe he loves this city way too much not to. I believe he loves the people in this city. And I believe that he wants to use us as a church to see his name glorified, lifted high, and to see people consider him. And I'm excited to be a part of that. And I'm excited to be a part of that with you. And I want us to be excited about that. And I want us to be fired up and passionate about that. I want us to have a mental picture of what this would look like if it happened, if everyone considered Jesus around us. And I want us to um, be so passionate about seeing that happen. And it just starts in the day-to-day. It just starts as we go through life, living out what we believe, enjoying Jesus, loving people, making disciples. So I'm excited for the next few weeks. I'm excited. We're going to be looking at enjoying Jesus next week. Ryan's going to be preaching. We're going to be going through this together as we grow together as a church family and as we pray that God would use us to make him non-ignorable, Jesus non-ignorable in Seattle, the Puget Sound, and beyond. We have a great opportunity before us. Will we take advantage of it? Will we make it count? Jesus, I pray that you would use us as a church family and a church body to make your name great. I pray that you would use us um, to make your name known here in Seattle and in the Puget Sound and beyond. I, I pray that we would actually believe that you want to see this happen and believe that you could use broken, messed up, jacked up sinners like us that you've redeemed by your grace to make your name known. And I pray that it would start in our own hearts. I pray that it would start with you being non-ignorable in our own lives, that we would examine and think about and pray through that and repent of things we need to, things that are getting in the way. That We would lay those down before you. And then I pray that you would light a fire within us as individuals and as a church body to make your name known. I pray that we would not become a self-seeking, consumeristic church. I pray instead that we would be a far-reaching church. Jesus, only, only you can do that. And it's a miracle. And it's amazing. And we pray that you would. And so as we launch tonight as a church, I pray from the very beginning that you would not let us get sidetracked, but that you would keep us incredibly focused on what you have called us to do to who you have called us to be. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.